0: Well, we know what makes up the measure of gross domestic product, but it's the only real contributor to growth shifts in technology that drive productivity so we can increase output and push wages higher. Can you expect GDP to grow without that? And is that why the global economy is moving so slowly right now? Have we run out of ideas? Or are perhaps entrepreneurs not getting the funding they need to make changes? We'll look at all of that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. So what does drive growth in the economy? Well, it uh, depends on how you measure your growth, I guess. But if it's GDP, then you'd need to see an increase in spending, either from the public or from the government, or investment and improvement in investment or an improvement in your balance of trade. That's just about it, isn't it, in terms of, uh, of GDP? And government
1: spending as well.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, spending okay. by the, the public yeah. or, or by the government. Yeah. But that's i mean, that's just a measure, isn't it? It's not really showing causation. Well, no,
1: you, you, and this is one of the whole hassles about the, the entire area. I mean, GDP is one of these appalling figures. One of my uh, good friends back in Australia who's a biological researcher called Jeff Davies uh, made the cr- comment to me a decade ago that economics is the only – um, it, uh, discipline, which adds up its assets and liabilities and calls it, calls it wealth. And mm. sorry, you've got to take your liabilities away. Yeah. Um, and so that's w- one of the many, many problems in actually how you measure GDP. But if you look at uh, the way it's conventionally treated in economic theory, they say it's going to be a change in capital or a change in labor or a change in technology. And for, of course, for labour, population growth can contribute, and it's that's seeing all this as, as, as driven by the supply side. Mm. So more people means more output, that sort of thing. Yeah. And equally, the the argument more uh, improvement in technology means more output. But when you start unpacking it, both of them look uh, very sus because uh, is it is it a question of the supply of people or is it the demand that matters? So is is it uh, if you have a, a completely uh, the sort of non-monetary vision of the economy that neoclassicals have that really comes from Jean-Baptiste Say, where money is seen as playing no significant role, then supply creates its own demand as the,
0: the perennial mm. myth of, of, uh, of, the, of convention. But first, to spend more, we've got to earn more. And to well, yeah, earn more, then our yeah, companies have got to be making more. Which comes one, first, then? the spending
1: mm. or the expenditure or the income? Mm. Okay? And. Um, we have got to have the money coming in. To spend yeah, it. and you got, to, and so you you get caught up in a in a, in a you know what causes what uh, dilemma. And if you work the the conventional attitude from mainstream economics is if you supply it, they will come. Okay, it's the supply that generates the growth. So if mm. you have an increase in the number of workers, if you have an increase in the number of machines, or the or the capability of the machines, you'll get an increase in output. But the the Keynesian position, and it ends up being really what I call a monetary position, is you don't get income unless somebody is spending. So expenditure comes first. Yeah. And therefore the increase in population isn't necessarily going to cause an increase in output because it won't necessarily bring an increase in expenditure.
0: Well yeah exactly if you've got an increase in output not all of that necessarily. A 100% increase in output doesn't mean that there's a 100% increase in wages there's going to be profit taken out of that there's and going also to be if, 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 and if
1: you're producing it goes to stocks. Yeah. I mean I remember having a conversation with the New Zealand Treasury uh, back when I got blocked by a couple of neo, uh, more than a couple of neoclassicals there when the Treasury uh, Secretary actually wanted to use my Minsky software to build models of the right. New Zealand economy. How Department. did they block you? Were there the door, where they sort pretty of damn t- <laughs> pretty damn close, pretty damn close. So they could have tackled me and thrown me in the Keyes bin. Trying
0: to get in the building, let's all get downstairs.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, but it, when I was talking to one of them and giving a presentation, he said, "Look, I look out the door. I look out the window and I see equilibrium." And I my comeback was, well, "Well, so you you walk past car yards that are empty every night, do you?" And he went, "What?" And I said. Well, if you're right, if everything sells in a spot market, so supply equals demand in a spot market all the time, Mm. then there would be no stocks left over at the end of the day. Everything would be sold. So do you walk past empty car yards at night? And he really couldn't comprehend my comment. I mean, this is how locked in they are to seeing equilibrium everywhere. Well, they but, might have got
0: the supplies in for the next day, uh, of course. But, no, um, but
1: even on that front, the, the, the economic Nothing model, happens
0: instantaneously.
1: But, but that's the – economic theory happens instantaneously, mm. and that's the problem. Mm. So you've got to go back and say, what actually causes the growth? Is it, is it the creation of new physical resources, or is it expenditure? And what we're seeing after the financial crisis is the expenditure is low. What happens? Well, gee – GDP is low as well. Yeah. And what then, the, the the mainstream way of explaining that is to blame what they call secular stagnation. This was something, uh, a vampire, a, 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 a zombie idea uh, from Alvin Hansen in 1934 and 1937 that um, some has resurrected to try to explain why the low growth had occurred. And if you look at it, I, I paraphrase the argument that, it, that, that its weaknesses on the supply side that have caused the low growth after the crisis as saying, The whole problem with the economy is parents aren't having enough kids and engineers aren't having enough ideas. Mm. Now, parents aren't having enough kids? Yeah, that's true. There has been a decline in population growth in most of the OECD. Uh, But engineers aren't having enough ideas when we're watching... Rockets land on their backsides and hmm. electric cars and solar technology and wind technology, and talk of, of you know. Uh, it's unlikely that they're all uh,
0: en masse saying, oh, I'm bored. I don't no, want to do the, this the anymore. The ideas Absolutely. aren't being funded. They're not yeah. being funded.
1: They're not, yeah. being, funded. They're not yeah. being turned into reality. But by are, those I-
0: are those ideas, though, the only, you know, getting back to the original question, that, are the that, only that, thing that's driving? Because <clears throat> Robert, Robert Solo, <laughs> economist back in the 1950s, said <clears throat> 80% of the growth in US productivity improvements came from technological progress. Which sort of sort of seems obvious. No, it is, so, it's, it's actually it actually was a failing of neoclassical theory of growth that right. led to
1: that result because you had what's what's called the Cobb-Douglas production function, invented by uh, Cobb, I think Cobb was a mathem- mathematician and Douglas was the economist and. The mathematician proposed this little function saying output is a function of labour and capital uh, multiplied together. So you multiply labour by capital, and you raise them both to an exponent. You multiply them by... One, one to the power of alpha, which might, might be, say, 0.3, and the other, uh, one minus alpha, which is therefore 0.7, so that if you have a double both labour and capital, you double output. It's an idea of constant returns to scale. And that makes plenty of sense at a particular point in time. If you have twice as many factories with twice as many workers, you'll get twice as much output. Hmm. So that's a realistic thing. <clears throat> but in putting it together, they found a perfect fit to the, um, the yearly data they had on uh, GDP in America at the time, very high correlation coefficient. And that convinced them to make a think. well, it must be a, a realistic model in that case. Uh, and initially, the, they just had a constant multiplied by L to the alpha times K to the 1 minus alpha. Now, over time, what what's solid is, well, let's break this down into uh, a growth equation. So you have output, which is... To use the symbol Y is equal to L to the alpha times K to the one minus alpha. And that's giving your output. If you want to see rate of change, then you'd have rate of change of Y divided by Y, percentage rate of change. Mm. And they, it'd be, I have, hope people
0: have got a pen and paper handy. I'm, I'm sorry about that,
1: but it's happened to be <laughs> talked to me. Um, and it, he had a percentage rate of growth of labour at a percentage rate of the capital, and that only explained 15% mm. of the variation of the change in income. Right. So they had to add in a, 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 a technology term which they use capital A for, and said so that's got to be what they call... Um, um, it's, it's not disembodied technical progress, but uh, total factor productivity, and that explained eighty-five percent of the change in output. Now that's that's where they've
0: been stuck. But it, aside from all those equations, yeah. isn't it a bit obvious that if you've got the same number of people doing the same amount of stuff, mm. the only way you're going to improve that 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 growth is We're either ahead per head, mm. uh, okay, yeah, throw more people at it, yeah. but otherwise per head, the only way is going to be through innovation, which is yeah, going to be doing, is, the, using the same energy more yeah. efficiently. Well,
1: that's you've used the magic word, energy, yeah. because when, when you looked at what total factor productivity was, um, just given the fact that you've got labor raised to one power and times capital to another, and then you've got output on the other side, and just output on its own, not right, not output raised to some power, then that a term had to have this really weird dimensionality, and nobody could make head or head or tail of it. And simply, they said, well, total factor of productivity, and that looks like labor productivity. So we say it's increasing productivity of labor and capital together. That's what they call it: total factor, labor and capital together, um, and a huge amount of waffle on that. And I, uh, when I when I worked out the role of energy in production back in two thousand and sixteen. That's the very first thing I applied it to. Mm. So if you then say, well, you know, labor without energy is a corpse, uh, machinery without energy is a sculpture, then you've got to have labor energy input to both of them to produce any output. Mm. And when I played the mathematics through, within a couple of minutes, uh, the A term, which is called total factor productivity, actually ended up being the energy consumption level of the representative machine of its time, it was air quotes, but those couldn't actually see it on radio, yeah. uh, it's a representative machine. and so so my example is if you go back to the time of Adam Smith, uh, I think the Wealth of Nations postdated the steam engine by f- a few years. So the James Watt steam engine is your mm. representative machine from the time of Adam Smith. And that consumed but they all ran
0: at the same time,
1: weren't they? They were yeah. all part of the, you know, the Edinburgh set Scottish at the time. And it's all
0: Scottish too, yeah. yeah. all
1: Scottish yeah, okay. uh, it, it consumed 10 tonnes of coal per day. Now, the Elon Musk Falcon 9 consumes 9 tonnes of uh, – I'm not sure where the fuel is, but it would be – more efficient than coal, obviously, Mm. nine tons per second. Yeah. So if you look at that, it's about a 25,000 times increase in the energy consumption. And that fundamentally is what the technology really is. All the technology uh, has been fundamentally finding ways to harness more energy. Mm. And that's, that's the real source of most of our growth.
0: Yeah. Not using it more efficiently, just trying to get more energy energy to input. But but there again, if you look at airlines, for example, airlines have been buying uh, new airliners, Uh, not, be well, I guess because the old ones are wearing out. But they are re- the real focus now is on, on on fuel efficiency. Yeah, and and you know to such a point that it's hard now. I think to run an airline with old airliners, it is because yeah. it's too expensive but see, there, to
1: run. Efficiency has got two limits. First of all, you cannot achieve one hundred percent efficiency. That's that's the second law of thermodynamics. On application of it, mm. uh, there has to be waste. Uh, if you go, unless you can dump um, unless you, you energy dump. It happens to be at absolute zero. Then the the energy between whatever the temperature background temperature is and absolute zero can't be accessed. Okay, so that's the, the second law of thermodynamics, and that is like about 300 degrees Celsius energy difference, of 300 kelvin. Um, so it's a huge amount of energy you can't actually access um, using you know using anything on the surface of the of the, the planet. Mm. Um, so you you can't get 100%. You get very high levels of efficiency for some. Uh, some devices. So lights are now very efficient at turning electricity into photons. Um, so you can approach 100%. But your range really fundamentally is 0 to 1. Okay? Okay, now you might be running, if you're running now at, at point 0.3 or point 0.5, you've only got a very tiny, like you know, maybe you might get point 0.1 or point 0.2 more increase, uh, uh, in sort of 10 or 20% increase in efficiency. So efficiency has physical limits. The amount of energy you can throughput does not have that same physical limit. So again, again, looking at the the James Watt steam engine. How did you fuel it? You had a, a guy mm.
0: shoveling a coal into a boiler and and just... So, again, without any fancy equations, yeah. you could just look at the Industrial Revolution and say, and well, say would GDP increase because of the introduction energy. of new
1: yeah. energy and technology like if, that was yeah. using that you think The amount of energy, like you just picked me up at uh, Farnham Railway Station and drove me here. Mm. Okay. Now, if you go back to the time of Adam Smith... Uh, to make that journey, you'd hop on horseback. Yeah. And now, in that case, you we, you and I would both literally be using one horsepower. Yeah. To travel, so it'd be a two horsepower journey. That's,
0: we'd still be tethering up the horses now. Yeah, as that's we right. Speak.
1: Yeah, we'd have to stop for some hay on the way. Yeah. Um, so that. I love that hay. That, that there you go. It's delicious stuff, particularly with a bit of basmati on <laughs> so, top. Um,
0: this is how we eat outside London. Okay. Lots of well, yeah, we're, we're poor. So, but, but so so all of this efficiency that's created then was so either we're putting more energy in, or we're using the energy that more we're using, efficiently, more and efficiently. that's
1: fundamentally what the technology is doing. Right. Now you can get when when. when if you think about uh, the gas guzzlers, remember mm. that expression for American yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, they're uh, still not removed off them totally, have they? I mean, they're, they're pretty bad. Yeah. most of the world. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but but the, the gas guzzler, you didn't care about the efficiency; mm. it was how loud the engine was, how big the fins were on the back yeah. of the car, that sort of stuff, uh, and the weight and so on. They, you, they, they sold them by the kilo, by the pound, effectively. Um, so there was no concern about energy efficiency; it was just getting more energy in. When the oil crisis hit, then bang, yeah. the concern was on efficiency. So we're
0: now at a period where GDP is growing quite slowly. Is mm-hmm. that just because we're not seeing these new, you know, this new innovation? That anymore? is
1: exactly the explanation that Larry Summers gives, and therefore it's almost certainly wrong. Right. It's so what not, is it, then? it What what it is is we have a, a in, insufficient aggregate demand. Right. we have aggregate demand which normally included a large component for credit yeah that all came a cropper in the financial crisis and with low credit based demand and with governments trying to run surpluses as well okay, and
0: then we get back to our debt questions there's low yeah. demand because of which we've covered many times yeah, yeah, because yeah. i'm I'm not willing to spend because I've got so much debt But yeah. just if, if if we are going back to the question about how what GDP mm. is measuring mm. uh, if we put say there wasn't debt until yeah. when we were looking at you know the fact that we were you know GDP wasn't moving if we increase productivity, and uh, that that means that companies are better off so theoretically everyone's wages go up maybe not as much as the you know the wealth hmm. of the company but everyone's wages that's going to create inflation and doesn't that then Sort of discount the benefits of. Are well, no, you
1: you're mixing your, your your nominal and your real then? Yeah, we no, exactly. Okay. Which we
0: spoke about recently. I'm just, but I mean, yeah. a, conventional economists would say just that, wouldn't they? That you know, well, no, the nominal the nominal wealth hasn't increased well, at they, all. They, they so we created the efficiency, but, the, but then everyone's better the, off, and they, therefore they, they know they're better off, and therefore the, the, everything's more expensive, and the, therefore we're back where we started but, from before we had that efficiency. But they're
1: ignoring the, the nominal when the nominal is actually the source of the demand. Mm. Okay, you buy stuff with money; you don't buy it with real. You know, you don't buy, take pigs to go shopping. Pigs to market. You buy pigs in the market with money, and so it's, it's the availability of money that both gives you the, the the impetus for for growth, and also the availability of money which determines whether inventions get turned into actual products or not. Mm. And one of the, I mean, for example, one of the great. Uh, when this is a question for you for dates here. When was the uh, television invented?
0: Yeah, um, I don't. I have no idea. I think it was 19- nineteen twenty-eight. 20, right,
1: okay, got that. Okay, about there, okay. But as you can say, BBC was depression.
0: broadcasting before the war, weren't when, they? Yeah, yeah,
1: when when was when was TV? When did TV become a mass consumption item?
0: Nineteen forty-six,
1: forty-eight, fifty. because the invention was made, but then, bang, the Great Depression hit, yeah. and there, that was the, the end of war. consumption. Yeah. So that particular technological invention, which actually existed, simply didn't get implemented. You need the demand to turn these things into mm. real commodities, and you the demand comes from the monetary system. So a monetary breakdown can mean you have a lower rate of growth. And the, because, the, because neoclassicals don't even understand the money system, don't include the money system in their models, they can't see that as a source of low growth.
0: So what about the productivity gap? So uh, since 1979, productivity has increased 253% in America, mm. but hourly compensation has increased only 11%. So yeah. productivity gains are not getting passed on. So consumption is not increasing as much as a result of this. So yeah, that's, I mean, not, that's not helping GDP.
1: Not at all. And um, and this, again, it, 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 I won't get into the argument here, but my debt analysis shows that the increase in debt causes a direct in- increase in bankers' income and fall in workers' income. Yeah. So that's partly what's going on there. But also, when you look at how labour productivity is defined, it's simply dividing GDP by the number of workers. That's what it's seen as. And so there's more GDP per worker puts the argument that it's actually how productive your workers are in the terms of how much GDP you create. Mm. So it's really important to have retraining courses and you know, skills courses and stuff like right. that. But
0: they've got to get compensation for that. But it's wrong. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> when you look at it in energy terms, mm. this is what, I've, again, the one thing that came out of the reworking I've done with energy, it's simply the ratio of the energy throughput of machines to the energy throughput of labour. Now, There's nothing that you can do as a human being that's going to give you a capacity for every worker to put in more than 100 watts. Uh, no. Of energy, any particular point in time, a uh, hundred joules per second. It seems to be about. Uh, the, 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 I'm not sure. Not Even sure. if they have
0: porridge for breakfast, it's uh, not
1: making any difference. Arnie Schwarzenegger might be able to manage 140 for a while. <laughs> okay, uh, the, the the old walnut 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 in the condom effect. But most most unskilled workers can only put in about 100 watts of energy, and they it for about eight hours. That's about it for the day. Um, whereas the machine, once you've once you've mechanized the process, then the amount of energy you can put there can just Continue increasing as you work out ways to deliver more energy to the process, mm. make the process work faster, and so on. So it's not the labour that needs to be more productive, it's the machinery. Yeah. that needs to process more energy. Right. And that's where the productivity comes from. Right, and that's why we're not seeing the wages increase because the machines are doing all the work. And fundamentally because you're weakening mm. the working class. So the mm. only reason the working class got got paid is because if they didn't get paid, they didn't turn the machines on. Yeah, And therefore the capitalists couldn't make any profit, um, couldn't make the commodities to make a profit from. So that capacity to effectively blackmail the bosses and say, unless you pay us a decent wage, the machine's not going to work. That capacity is undermined the more mechanization we get.
0: Yeah, So because an, another machine can turn that machine on. Yeah, yeah. and that's
1: what's now happening.
0: <laughs> well, so. it is what's happening now, because if we uh, look even at the United States, so the Bureau of Labor Statistics mm. in the U.S. shows strike activity in the U.S. between mm. 2018 mm. and 2019 hit a 35-year high of uh, dissatisfaction, because wages, as we know, aren't really going anywhere. The yeah. number of workers involved in strike action in 2018, and this is the United States, okay. where they don't strike easily, was 480,000 or 485,000, mm-hmm. which was 20 times higher than it was the year before.
1: Wow. Well, that's actually a good sign, because if, if workers can only get a wage rise if they can bargain. Mm. Okay, And uh, with the decimation of trade unions, they've lost their bargaining uh, collective bargaining power. Yeah. Again, all this neoclassical stuff are making it more efficient. Now, of course, you've got neoclassical economists trying to cause inflation. They're wondering why low unemployment is not causing inflation. But if you start getting to the point where there are labor shortages, then firms are going to be offering higher wages ultimately, yeah. just as poach workers from other companies. And you might see a spike in inflation at that stage. So that's something I've been expecting for a while because with QE and with the 4% of GDP, deficit that Trump is running, there's a large stimulus to the economy itself, mainly going to the wrong people. It's going to the wealthy who don't spend anywhere near as much uh, as if the same amount of deficit was going to the hands of the poor. But it does imply that at some point there are going to be labour shortages, and to make up for the labour shortages, firms are going to compete by offering higher wages. Workers Mm -hmm. simply haven't got the guts to demand them over there for obvious reasons. When that starts to happen, you should finally
0: see a spike in inflation. So, the point where we are now, then, the discussion we've had mm-hmm. so far, yeah. just doing a bit of catching up here, what mm-hmm. we're saying, I think, is mm-hmm. that the reason why automation and technology and innovation is not driving GDP is because we can put all that stuff into our companies, but there's not going to be the increase in demand Support having made that investment.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the dangers. You need you need the demand as well at the same time. Yeah, it's great to have the capacity to produce. You've got to have. the, 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 the it w- It's really expenditure that drives income, mm. not vice versa. So, but I you- could if I
0: was, I could still invest, though, couldn't I? And try and grab a bit of market share. I mean, it, it's like you know, with yeah. those airlines, for example, buying cheaper aircraft, they yeah. they will put the ones who didn't buy the. More expensive, but yeah. more economical aircraft, and out that's of the business. creative
1: destruction and stuff that Sean Peter spoke about. Mm. And if you look at uh, like,
0: which re- is why you know we have downturns. Yeah. Add to that, we have a downturn, and that gets rid of all the all those weak companies. The yeah. weakest companies yeah. go, and then that's why we see. Uh, so quite often in downturns, new innovative companies coming out. And yeah, and this is actually
1: them. again, Sean Payne made this case in the theory of economic development, and I didn't, I didn't. He actually said that the new technology causes the boom, and then in terms of investing and building that technology, and then when it comes online, it under it undermines the other uh, industries it's competing with. Yeah, uh, the the investment. Phase is now over, so that source of demand disappears. You have a slump, and then during the slump, the technology permeates society. Yeah. And I thought that was – I remember reading it, thinking, "Oh, this doesn't make sense to me." But I have to say, no, actually, he was right because that's what happened with the internet. That's what happened with telecommunications. Yeah. All the dark fibre. Providing stuff like that.
0: you get the funding for it, that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's the only fund- when the there's a downturn, then that- there's a high, you know, yeah. element of risk. It's hard yeah. to get the funding and you- unless you are an existing big company, and yeah. then that gives them the advantage. Over, over newcomers. Yeah, it's and, the big companies that are going and to... And to this impact. is like
1: Richard Werner's work uh, talking about the role of small German banks in funding innovation. Um... Which was this, the nature of the the, the uh, German banking system? Mm. Uh, they provide money on knowing who they're lending to, rather than point scoring stuff. Yeah. So you have got money be- being provided to entrepreneurs in that sort of system, yeah. and that's what we need. Yeah,
0: uh, which no- is Chancer's point, wasn't it? It's huh? not chance's point was that yeah. it's not just the uh, it, it's not just the technology. It's, you've got to have entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, it's, you've got to have, yeah. have the idea,
1: and well on- entrepreneur coming up with the idea, but you've got to have funding for them. And he saw that as the role of the banking sector. Yeah. Now, of course, that's the role the banking sector has not fulfilled for decades and certainly isn't fulfilling right now and can't fulfill while you're carrying the level of private debt we're carrying at the moment because You know they don't want to lend to anybody who might not be able to pay them back. So doesn't that
0: therefore mean it's going to be the bigger companies that are going to innovate? Innovate? They're they're the companies that got the R and D budgets. You know, to and then they're looking
1: at aggregate demand and thinking, do we bother? Because we're not, no, we're not selling stuff. So you you, really. But I mean, they could
0: be saying, yeah, but we can take over this company over here if we do this. We can grab more market share, which is what they do.
1: It's predatory investing rather than new investment. So yeah, you, you you have to have a financial sector that supports innovation, and we don't have that. So and when you have too much debt at the end of a bubble like that, you get low growth coming out of it, courtesy of the financial sector. So
0: does this then, uh, you know, should governments then be saying, well, if we really want to boost uh, GDP, mm. we've got to drive innovation. Mm. Therefore, we've got to look at who can innovate, mm. uh, and that possibly does mean some of these larger companies that need the in- or, or companies with a good strong entrepreneur an individual mm. who can who can mm. drive it forward. That's where we've got to put our money, and that's how we're going to drive. Innovation,
1: and that's Maryam's point, right? Yeah.
0: But then, if you, but they again, if you do that, you're still not going to create the demand, are you?
1: Well, I mean, partly the spending creates the demand. Yeah, if you, if you, mm. we've got a crazy focus on saving money, as if that's a creative thing to do at the a collective level. And what saving money does at the collective level is reduce GDP. So the whole obsession with saving is part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, if you say you have got to invest and spend. Then that's where you get your innovation occurring. That's where you get the demand to absorb the innovation.
0: So that money to do that is not coming from the banks. It has to come from the government, doesn't it? Oh, At yeah, the yeah.
1: moment, yeah. I mean, which uh, I mean, and if you look back in the fifties and sixties. Uh, the government was running a deficit of about one and a half, two percent of GDP all the way through. The debt ratio, government debt ratio, fell, and I want to talk about that in another podcast sometime soon. That's gone into my new cartoon, mm. the logic behind that. Uh, but that was the government creating the money, and through a whole range of ventures. I mean, if you look back at the, uh, all the, uh, the the Cold War uh, elements of the Cold War, causing innovation and spending, uh, the government was providing the money. The private sector was turning it over. And uh, that's now gone by the wayside. That's your government's obsession with saving money, which is a fallacy, uh, and the private bank's supporting speculation rather than innovation.
0: Mm. But it's hard, isn't it, for a government to say we're going we're, we're to f- help fund a, a large enterprise so they become more innovative because people or are naturally uh, going to say, well, no, they should do them do it themselves. They've got the resources well, to do well, that. The, the, they that's they where, the, got that's the where the moonshot comes in. Yeah.
1: You know? uh, huge amount of money. Government, no, no expense spared to get to the moon
0: before the Russians. Hmm. But it was all gov- that was government money, employing government people, working in government departments. But also, you it?
1: know, subcontracting to private o- organizations like Boeing, yeah. Lockheed, and so on, and and that's what gave them the money that they meant they could do the innovation, and then the innovations
0: turn up in the private sector sometime down the track. Right, but you've got to have a goal for that, haven't you? So that was fairly easy. We're going to get to the moon, yeah. so everyone yeah. rallied behind that, and then there'll be some, some spin off benefits. Mm. That's a bit different to saying, "Well, yeah, we want to get GDP to no. imp- yeah. improve." You, you've got so, to have
1: an objective above and beyond GDP.
0: So what, do you, so what is the, you know – so when we, in, in Britain we're saying, well, okay, we're going to build big infrastructure projects now. Well, so I, we're mean, going I have think the innovation for-
1: now is going to be the ecological one. Right. Okay, uh, because we, we've been massively delayed, as I've mentioned many mm. a time in our response to this whole thing. When it hits, it's going to be a wartime-level effort well beyond anything that you're going to...
0: But you see, irrespective of where you are on climate change, Mm. um, that could be... You'd have to admit, and I know you... you know, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to a listener now. You'd have to admit, even if you're a climate change denier, actually Mm. saying that we are going to have an aim which is to... Use energy more efficiently. Mm. That's got to be a good aim, and if everyone yeah. is, a, mean, I mean, a, and that's has one that will drive innovation. That is going to be good for GDP because you're going to have, yeah, uh, because you're going to have less inputs for, for higher outputs. Yeah, and
1: what China is doing right now, trying to you know start ultimately decom, stopping the level of coal stations it's commissioning and go back to decommissioning them and improve the quality of the air in Beijing. So and without Shanghai and so on, so without innovation, we're not going to get growth. Is no, that yeah, what we're innovation is vital. Okay, what the innovation is really doing is harnessing harnessing energy, either more energy in a process which had limits, or more efficiently in a process that didn't have limits, uh, and that's really what's given us growth over time. And then now I have to say, is that compatible with the planet we're living on? Mm. And my answer is no,
0: because the because the because uh, the cheap and easy way of doing it, of course, is just to throw more people at it. Just have more people coming into your country. Grow your GDP that way. But that doesn't help GDP per head, of course. It probably no, no. probably weakens GDP yeah. per capita. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there we are. Uh, there's the answer then. Gee, what a shame you're not in government uh, sorting all this out, <laughs> Steve. Uh, it's, I mean, but it just it's just plain, you know, ir- irrespective of equations, it's mm. just plain common sense, isn't it?
1: Well, it's it's getting Use energy away from myths. Yeah,
0: and you push growth. Yeah,
1: it's, it's getting away from myths, and unfortunately, economics is full of myths. Mm. And uh, those myths, people live by the myths and try to save money, for example, at the government level, which reduces GDP directly, probably more than it reduces government debt by. Uh, we have all these obsessions which are leading us astray, and it's ideology, a form of ideology, or, or linear thinking in a nonlinear
0: world. But it, we could stick with GDP. GDP would still be an okay measure. But if we if we followed this principle, because we we would be trying to, well, the, it, the, the the upshot would be that GDP would would improve.
1: My my definition of GDP would would involve actual efficiency of use of energy. And so what are you trying to do? You're trying to move a mass – you you, you want to give me a lift to to Heathrow later on today, okay? Mm. So you've got to move a a mass of about 80 kilos these days, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, Plus nine. That
0: that makes it. You know, that's another 55 kilos right there. There
1: you go. The the slim old, (laughs) yeah. Um, So that (laughs) that, – the efficiency, you could actually work out the ideal efficiency to move a weight of 80 kilos, 30 kilometres in uh, in 30 minutes. Mm. And that's your efficiency. That's 100% efficiency target. Yeah. And then what do we actually manage doing? We'd probably have a 10% efficiency if we're lucky. Yeah. So. Um, and that's yeah. where your driverless but, car, but you, you, the driverless, you, 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 driverless
0: you, you, car that picks you up and then picks several other people up mm, along the way, mm, comes in.
1: Yeah. That's a huge... Yeah, but you, what, what you end up doing is having a defi- definition of GDP in terms of uh, efficient creation of useful work, mm. and that would be a totally different definition of what we have now, and much more realistic. And it would show GDP declining on occasions when, you know, for example, you have car accidents on the way that increases the the, the monetary measure of GDP. Yeah. It reduces the real value of GDP. Less useful work is done.
0: Yeah, and the useful because work because someone's clearing be up focus. the mess after you, which is yeah. contributing. They nothing they get paid at all for it. Economy. So GDP yeah. rises because they're yeah. picking up the blood. Yeah. Absolutely, well, on that morbid point, mm-hmm. uh, as we scrape Steve Keane off the M3 on the way to Heathrow, mm. <laughs> we'll leave it there, we'll catch you again very soon, hopefully. Mm. And if he uh, doesn't get coronavirus, of course. Uh, speaking of which, well, I mean, Steve, you are in that, age, uh, that danger group, aren't you? Speaking of which, uh, we did talk about the virus last time. Maybe we need to revisit it in light of the moves by the central banks this week and the Chancellor's budget in the UK as well. The, the one that says if you do get sick, you'll be all right getting by on less than 100 quid a week, won't you? No problem at all. We'll try and squeeze an extra podcast later in the week on coronavirus mitigation. Uh, That's it, though, for this week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve King. Catch you again very soon. Thanks for listening. Hey,
1: it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.